Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Jeremiah 20, uh, 21 for our study. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Jeremiah chapter 21 for this evening. You know how we always talk about this. You know, if you're a through the Bible church, I think people always marvel at how where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life. And we talk about that all the time. Uh, but I remember last time I went through the book of Jeremiah, it was way back in 2006, when we as a church were going through Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Um, and uh, it, it sort of rem reminds me of the book of Job a little bit. When we were in the book of Job, people were like, Brett, let's get through Job. Come on, let's hurry things up because where you're at in the Bible is where you're at in life. And uh, a lot of us were feeling that, you know, in various times as we go through the Bible. But here's Jeremiah, um, and he's going through a miserable time. Uh, things are not good. And, uh, and some of you have said, Brett, Jeremiah, and, um, here we are in lockdown, coronavirus, you know, and uh, we have issues and the election and tensions and, and cities are shut down and, and businesses are going out. Like, it, like people, there's a lot of people hurting right now. And it reminds me, you know, we left off last week in Jeremiah 20, verse 14. Let's back up a little bit. There, Jeremiah gets to this place where he says in Jeremiah 20, verse 14, he said, cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. My birthday, let it be a curse, basically is what he's saying. Uh, he said, cursed be the day I was born. This sounds like Job. Um, by the way, there's several places in the Bible. Elijah also kind of got into this down depression in ministry. And, uh, and here Jeremiah is there. Job was definitely there. And so some of you might be saying, Brett, let's get through Jeremiah. Uh, well, after Jeremiah, we have Lamentations. Uh, <laughs> now, good news. Lamentations only goes for five chapters. So well, we, can, we can hammer that one out. But, uh, but yeah, it is funny. You know, when I was going through this in 2006 with you guys, um, here's what was going on. I, right, right when we started Jeremiah, I snapped my Achilles tendon playing racquetball. And uh, I remember that, you know, it was, it was kind of this popping sound, really loud in the racquetball court. And I thought, what was that? And then I felt an excruciating pain in the back of my foot where that tendon that connects your heel uh, just snapped in two. Uh, and then my calf muscle kind of rolled up like a blind in the back of my leg. Didn't feel so hot. And uh, I remember we were going through as a church kind of an interesting season when the school was shut down and we had these services out in a stadium up in Hillsborough. That's where we were at that Hillsborough Stadium. We did Sundays there for a while. And um, I remember teaching through Jeremiah, feeling that pain. And it was also like the same time when I was diagnosed with gout. If you've ever had gout, you know it's one of the more painful uh, things. In fact, it's one of the oldest diseases uh, recorded in humanity. The, the kings of ancient times wrote, wrote about gout, uh, which is kind of funny. It's, a, it's a, kind of an arthritis that is in your feet, usually starts there and goes other places, but not pleasant. One of the more painful things a person can endure. So I was, I was diagnosed with gout during this Jeremiah season. I snapped my Achilles tendon. I was crippled there for a while. And, you know, just kind of feeling like, wow, woe is me. You know, and you almost get to that place where you're like, oh, come on, poor Jeremiah. But one of the things I wanna tell some of you that are going through difficult days and some of you that are a little depressed right now because of the days that we're in, lockdown and coronavirus and misinformation and uh, all kinds of craziness that are going, hey, it all comes to pass. As believers, you and I, we can trust that the Lord's got a plan and a purpose and it's all gonna come to pass. 
Um, and you know, this life, even if it's all about this life on earth, this life is but a vapor, the Bible says. It's just a short little stint. And we can get through this. You can do anything for uh, you know, a certain amount of time if you know that there's gonna be some glory ahead. And we have heaven to look forward to. I hope you always remember and keep that in mind, especially when you're going through a book like Jeremiah, where you can see sort of the negative messages and the heavy uh, burden of judgment upon a sinful people. And you just kind of go, man, Lord, what's this all about? But we're learning from Jeremiah that the days are coming even in the last days where the Lord's gonna judge, just like he's judging these people, that same kind of judgment. It's not gonna be just for the Jews in Jerusalem and, and in Judea. But the Lord's wrath is coming during the last days over the whole world, the Christ-rejecting sinful world. Now, I believe the rapture of the church is the next thing on the list of things to do. The, the Lord's gonna take his church up to be with him. And there's gonna be a mass uh, sort of rising up, if you would, or it's not that the Lord's gonna return, that's the second coming, but we will meet him in the air, First Thessalonians chapter four says, where the church is taken. And why does he do that? Because the Lord never destroys the righteous with the wicked. Um, he does not appoint us under wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us. And so we really have so much to look forward to. But before that happens, before the rapture of the church, it's from now until that point, we don't know what's gonna happen, but a lot of bad things could happen. We're seeing bad things happening in the world today. Could get a lot worse, but be of good cheer. It's all gonna come to pass at some point. And, and someday as believers, we will be with the Lord in heaven. Man, I'm gonna love that. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope you can keep your eyes on Jesus during these days. Uh, if you keep your eyes on the, what's going on around us and the news and stuff like that, you can get kind of tweaked out and bummed out and uh, burdened. We'll talk about burden here uh, tonight, Lord willing, as well. The burden of the Lord, uh, as they would say back in Jeremiah's time. So we have these things to cover. Let's pick it up. This is the story after Jeremiah was punched in the face by that guy from the temple. Remember his name, uh, this guy's name was Pashur. Uh, and uh, he was a leader there in the temple. And, he, and when Jeremiah gave the prophecy of the Lord, Jer Pashur walks up and punches him in the face and puts him in prison. And then Jeremiah is pulled out of prison. Uh, and Jeremiah continues to prophesy the same stuff. And they're just like, oh man, this guy, Jeremiah. But what happens here now in chapter 21 is a little change of scenery. Now, one of the things we need to remind you from time to time as we're going through Jeremiah, and it confuses the Western reader, you know, the person who doesn't think like a Hebrew, um, but Jeremiah is not written chronologically. It's written um, in sort of chunks of sermons that Jeremiah preached. In fact, if it's not written chronologically, some of you, some people have asked, well, then what, what is the order of Jeremiah? And I've read commentaries that say there is no order. Um, Jeremiah just sort of throws out a bunch of stuff and scatters on the pages of Jeremiah. I don't believe that's true. I think that Jeremiah is uh, organizing his book according to perhaps maybe even the, um, you know, the, the, the sermons that he's preaching. Each, each one of these sections, it's sort, there's sort of a message that's specific that Jeremiah is trying to share with the people. And I think that's more how he organizes it. It's, uh, it's almost like if you had a bunch of topical sermons, uh, like, like uh, for example, Spurgeon's sermons, one of my favorite volumes. I've got several of those volumes in my house, in my office, um, where it's a you know, 13 volume book series, and it's just the spattering of all of his sermons. 
And uh, there's no, you know, uh, scripture after scripture. It's just kind of whatever scripture he, he does, he does a sermon on that. That's kind of the way Jeremiah is organized. But some try to see even a deeper organization yet. And I'm not sure I would uh, say that I've found that, but I wouldn't be surprised. So uh, some scholars have done some digging and are trying to see the dots connected. But I believe these are more organized according to his sermons. This is a sermon that Jeremiah is gonna preach when the people start hearing, if you would, the hoofbeats of the Babylonians. Remember so far, Jeremiah has been saying, the Babylonians are coming. They're gonna come from the north and they're gonna wipe you out. They're gonna kill you in the streets of Jerusalem. Your bodies will lie out in the open fields and birds of the air are gonna pluck your flesh off. And one third of you will go off into captivity. That's much of the message of Jeremiah, brutal. But they all said, you're a jerk, Jeremiah. We don't like you, you're stupid, we don't believe you. And they had the prophets that we talked about on Sunday, uh, we'll see them again tonight, uh, that were saying happy things and you know, you're gonna be victorious and it's all gonna be great. Uh, but it wasn't, they were liars, these prophets so-called there. Uh, and so Jeremiah was the only dude telling the truth. But there were a lot of lying prophets of that day or false teachers, if you would. And so, uh, um, they've largely been mocking Jeremiah, but at this point in the story, which again, it's not chronological, but chapter 21 is the, the, the king starting to say, uh, what was that you said, Jeremiah? And, and you mean the Babylonians? We, we kind of sense they're coming. Nebuchadnezzar and the gang are gonna come and wipe us out. And they sense it's coming. So they, they approach Jeremiah um, and they've got something to ask him and we'll see what his response is. It's Jeremiah chapter 21, verse one. And there we read, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord when Zedek, King Zedekiah sent unto him Pashur, the son of uh, Melchiah, that's the guy that punched him in the face, and the son uh, and, and Zephaniah, the son of um, Maaseah, uh, the priest, saying. So these are two messengers from the king, uh, from the priests, saying, uh, saying this to uh, Jeremiah, verse two, Inquire, I pray thee, of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, maketh war against us. If so be that the Lord will deal with us according to all his wondrous works, that he may go up from us. Now here's where I wonder if Jeremiah took his you know, scroll and just threw it down on the ground. <laughs> you know, what, what does he think at this point? I, I, as a pastor, you sometimes feel this, where you've been telling people things from the word and people go, yeah, 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 got the Bible. Yeah, 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 got it. Um, and then they go and do the opposite of what the Bible says. And then they come back later and say, oh man, you know, Brad, I'm, I'm really struggling. You know, my, my girlfriend, you know, she dumped me and I'm, I'm really bummed out. Well, do you remember when you were living together and we were telling you how that's not gonna work out? Yeah, well, um, it didn't work out. Just like the Bible said, it wouldn't work out. Uh, oh, well, yeah, can you pray for me? No. I'm not gonna pray for you because you, you've behaved badly and, and you've just chosen a path and no wonder things, are, you, and you say, Brett, that's not what a good pastor should do. But interestingly, do you remember what the Lord told Jeremiah? He, he, told, he, you know, he told him, hey, you guys, repent, turn from your sins. And they said, now nah, whatever. And then the Babylonians are now coming, just like Jeremiah said they were gonna come. And they're saying, uh, would you pray that the Lord will give us victory? Jeremiah has already said, listen, you guys, because of your sinful attitude, because of your behavior, the Lord's not gonna help you. And not only that, Jeremiah was told by the Lord, if you recall three times thus far in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord said, stop praying for these people. 
Don't even pray for them. And here they're saying, would you please pray for us uh, now that Babylon's coming? And let's see, this, this is human nature, by the way. We, we sort of forget what people, I have good friends that I was trying to give solid advice to. And uh, it's painful because, you know, how clear can you try to be without being offensive? Um, have you ever had that situation where you're telling somebody, hey, you know what, you gotta be careful here. I've had friends that, you know, were moving too fast in something and I said, man, you know, I, I remember my words. I said, you know, time is your friend. Uh, you know, time is your friend. Slow down on this, you know, wait on the Lord, don't hurry this. And I said it as nicely as, the only other thing I could have done is grabbed my friend and thrown him up against the wall and said, stop. But I didn't do that. Uh, I just said, uh, you know, as, as strongly as I know how without, you know, physical harm. You know, and then later, those same friends will come back and say, um, you should have told me. I did. With everything in my heart and mind and soul, apart from beating you up, you know, uh, and, and I, I, I've seen this uh, over and over within human nature. And there's something within the human soul that kind of forgets when someone who loves you gives you a bit of advice or, or someone who's giving you, you just kind of dismiss, well, they're just jerks. They don't, they're not, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and you just dismiss them only to forget later on. And then you ask them, why didn't you tell me? Um, don't be the dupe that, you know, looks at life that way, but, but rather pray that the Lord will give you ears to hear people that love you, people that care about you, give, that the Lord would give you ears to hear what they have to say and not just dismiss their words because you think you know something, uh, but be, be tuned in. In fact, there should be several people in your life um, that you should have that your ears tune in extra carefully. Uh, you should always have people that you make yourself accountable to. And when they say something like, be patient or be still or be slow or stop doing this sinful activity or whatever, when your friends that love you and parents who care about you and grandparents who have a word from the Lord, don't blow that off only to be later messed up and wiped out saying, why didn't you guys tell me? That's the people of Israel here. And I see that in human nature all the time. Uh, it's, it's not a cool thing. Um, wise is the man, wise is the woman who has a small group of people that they'll say, if this person's speaking into my life, I'm gonna tune in and listen very carefully. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. The one guy they should have been listening to, they didn't listen to. And now they're saying, uh, would you pray for us? Uh, as it turns out, the Babylonians are coming. And Jeremiah's like, oh, brother, I've been telling you guys this for years and now you're surprised? Um, so let's hear Jeremiah's response to these, you know, Zedekiah's servants who are coming and saying, you know, uh, please go and ask the Lord if he's gonna deal according with his wondrous works that he might go up, you know, to defend us. Um, well, then said Jeremiah, verse three, unto them, thus shall you say to Zedekiah. Um, and by the way, there's about to be some pretty bad news for old Zed. Check it out, verse four. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, wherewith you fight against the king of Babylon, against the Chaldeans, which besiege you without walls. Uh, and I will assemble them into the midst of the city, and I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they shall die 
of a great pestilence. And afterwards, saith the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people, and such are as are left in the city from the pestilence, from the sword, and from the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those that seek their life, and he shall smite them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them, neither have pity nor have mercy. And unto this people thou shalt say, thus saith the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Whew, man, these are brutal words. These two servants of Zedekiah, well, can God help us with Babylon? And not only is the Lord not gonna help him, there's nothing worse than this line, if you ask me. Verse five, verse five of chapter 21 says, I myself, the Lord says, will fight against you. It's, your problem's not the Babylonians, it's me. The Lord is gonna fight against you. Man, that would be the worst possible scenario that a person could ever face is when God is at war with you. What, what puts a person in that place? Sin. Whenever you or I sin, we are out of you know, sync, out of line with God and our sin separates us from God and our sin sort of turns us against God. But I'm so thankful for the work of Jesus Christ that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he forgives us for our sins and he reconciles us to the Father. We are then you know, back into the family of God and forgiven. But see, the thing that you have to understand is while we can live victoriously as Christians and know that we have the eternal hope of heaven, if you live in opposition to God and you rebel against God and you don't accept Christ as your savior, then you are an enemy. You're either for the Lord or against the Lord. And you have to be kind of careful uh, to not be the person, the dupe, like Zedekiah, who's against the Lord. And the Lord says, oh, you want my help? I'm not gonna give you help. And not only that, I'm the one who's fighting against you. I'm gonna turn your own weapons against you, the Lord says. This is the person, Zedekiah the king, and the people of Israel, Judah, Judea, um, and, uh, and Jerusalem. The Lord just says, you, you guys are toast. You're going down. And so you say, Brett, that's brutal. Well, that's, that's what the, the tribulation period is about. It's gonna sort out those people. The rapture of the church is gonna take the people who've accepted Christ out of the world, and then those that are left, well, they're gonna be uh, uh, you know, in, a, in a tough spot. Um, now you say, well, Brett, that, that sounds pretty final, but actually it's not totally final at this point. The Lord is gonna war against them, no question. Just like in the tribulation, it's gonna be brutal. But the Lord's gonna leave a little bit of a open door for some people to live um, in this uh, sort of, if you would, Jeremiah's tribulation period after the Nebuchadnezzar comes, he's gonna put before them a, a choice. And by the way, did you know after the rapture of the church, during the tribulation when God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world, there's gonna be a bunch of people who will accept Jesus in that time. We call them tribulation saints, people that become Christians, if you would, during the tribulation period and accept Christ. And the Lord, he's got a plan to save them. Now, it's gonna be brutal for those people because they will not be taking the mark and they will not be worshiping this uh, you know, antichrist and the false prophet and the beast, this whole thing of the scenario of the tribulation period. And because of that, they'll be hated. They won't be able to buy or sell because they aren't gonna take the mask. I mean, the mark, pardon me, just joking there. Isn't it funny though? You can kind of see how you can't buy or sell without a mask. 
And, and the mask is, I think, a funny sort of precursor. You can kind of see, could it be that the mark of the beast, unless you have the mark, you won't be able to fly or you won't be able to travel, you won't be able to buy or sell? That's the imagery that John the Apostle gives in the tribulation period. You can kind of see how it would shake out pretty easily as it turns out right now. Um, so the mark of the beast, that'll separate the people that are gonna choose God versus choosing Antichrist. And the Bible says those that choose God during the tribulation, they will be beheaded uh, for their um, sticking to the Lord and they will be the tribulation saints. Um, and they'll be saved eternally. But some of you say, well, I'll just wait and see if it all happens. I'll become a tribulation saint. Well, if you can't be a Christian now, what makes you think you're gonna be able to be a Christian during the tribulation when it will cost you your head? Better to be saved now, walk with the Lord and be part of the rapture of the church. But see, the point that I'm making is here in the Jeremiah's tribulation period with the Babylonians in 586 BC, um, they, there's gonna be a, a chance for people to live. It's not gonna be easy for them, just like the tribulation saints, it's not gonna be easy for them. But the Lord is gonna save some people. And who are they? Well, that's this last verse that we read, verse eight. And unto this people thou shalt say, thus saith the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. You have a choice at this point. Now he's gonna talk about how that shakes out. How do you go the way of life versus how do you go the way of death? And the answer is given to us here in the next part of this chapter, verse nine. He that abides in the city shall die by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. But he that goeth out and falleth to the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, um, that will besiege you, he shall uh, live and his life shall be unto him for a prey. For I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good, saith the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. And touching the house of the king of Judah, say, hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus saith the Lord, execute judgment in the morning and deliver him that is spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. Lest my fury go out like a fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Behold, I am against thee, O inhabitant of the valley and the rock of the plain, saith the Lord, which say, who shall come down against us or who shall enter into our habitations? But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, saith the Lord, and I will kindle a fire in the forest thereof and it shall devour all things round about it. Boy, that's something we Oregonians and Californians know about is the forest fires. Uh, the Lord says it's gonna be like a forest fire. We, we've seen that it's entire towns here in Oregon this, this year, part of our 2020 um, you know, experience. Uh, entire towns are gone in Oregon now because of fires. And the Lord uses that imagery uh, saying it's gonna be like a forest fire that just leaves nothing that's usable behind. So the Lord says, you'll, you'll have a choice. And, and, and basically in a nutshell, he says this, if you stay in the city under the besieging of the, of the Babylonians, you're gonna die. Choose death if you do that. But if you go through the gate and fall before the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and his army, then you will be their prisoners, but you will remain alive. Uh, it makes you wonder, did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obey God's word here? Maybe they were the few, you know, uh, there was only a small group of people that were taken into ba uh, Babylonian captivity. Some say uh, somewhere 30 to, you know, 50,000 people or so. It was not a giant, you know, it wasn't the whole group. But those might, might have been the people who all went out and bowed down and said, we will be your servants. 
and they're the ones who lived. So the Lord says, you can either choose death, try to stay in the city and try to survive, which by the way, that's what the other false prophets were saying you should do. Ah, we got this. We're gonna have victory over the Babylonians. No problema. But you know, Jeremiah was saying, you're going down and it'd be better to submit yourself to the Babylonians uh, you know, than to, um, to try to you know, defend yourself. Because uh, the Lord's gonna wipe you out if you do. So it's very clear what the Lord's plan is. There's a point of no return. Did you know that there's a point of no return for those who have yet to accept Christ? Um, I hope no one that's watching this teaching is playing games with God and waiting, kind of want to live your life the way you want to live it. And someday you might become a Christian, you might accept Christ. Um, but you know, there, there's a point where when you least expect it, it could just come down. The last days, the rapture of the church, uh, and this troubling time that we're reading here came upon them swiftly when they least expected it. The Bible says the, the last days, the, uh, you know, it's going to come, the second coming of Christ is going to come like a thief in the night. You won't even know when it's happening and suddenly it'll be upon you. No time to mess around, time to walk with the Lord and be a faithful servant of Christ right now. Uh, that's when you should do that. Well, that's chapter 21, the condition of Israel, the future, what's gonna happen. Jeremiah spells it out for uh, uh, Zedekiah, the king and his servants. Chapter 22 is an indictment against the leaders of Israel. Um, it says in verse one, Thus saith the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, that sitteth upon the throne of David, thou and thy servants and thy people that enter in these gates. Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if you do this thing indeed, then there shall enter in by the gates of this house kings, sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, thou art Gilead unto me, and the head of Lebanon. Let surely, yet surely I will make thee a wilderness and cities which are not inhabited. And I will prepare destroyers against thee, every one with his weapons, and they shall cut down thy choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations shall pass by this city and they shall say every man to his neighbor, wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this great city? Then they shall answer because when they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. So here the Lord is just saying again, this is another sermon. And by the way, how can you tell the earlier sermons of Jeremiah versus the later ones? Um, one of the little giveaways that you can go with is simply this, um, that if there still seems to be a crack in the door for them to repent, um, the early Jeremiah ministry was, would say stuff, break off your sins, stop doing what you're doing, lest the Lord bring this calamity upon you. Um, the later sermons are like, there's no hope for you. You're going down. Pray for us. Not going to pray for you. It's over. You're done. Those are the later sermons. So, so chapter you know, 21 was probably a later sermon. Chapter 22 was probably an earlier sermon. And again, it's not chronological. But this is particularly uh, directed to the leaders of Jerusalem 
the kings and the leaders of the city and the Lord's basically saying, you guys are going down unless you break off and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. There's almost like the remedy is in the early part of this, but we know that the people never listened and didn't repent of their sins. And now Jeremiah is gonna start calling out kings by name uh, um, about these leaders. This is an indictment against the leadership, the kings of Jerusalem. Uh, and he's gonna start naming them that are during this time period. And uh, he starts with this king named Shalem. Let's take a look, verse 10. Weep ye not for the dead, neither bemoan him, but weep sore for him that goeth away, for he shall return no more, nor his native country, see his native country. For thus saith the Lord, touching Shalem, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which reigned instead of Josiah, his father, which went forth out of this place, he shall not return thither any more, but he shall die in the place whither they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. So the Lord specifically calls out Shalem. Now, you say, who's Shalem? I don't remember him. Well, if you remember when we were reading about this in uh, you know, uh, the Kings um, and First Chronicles 3.15, we, we read about this guy. But Shalem is another name for a guy named Jehoaz. Do you remember in our study of the Kings, Jehoaz, uh, Jehoaz, he, this guy uh, is, a, is the same dude. And he was the son of Josiah. Now, if you remember, we don't know much about Jehoiaz because his reign was so short. He only reigned for three months. And the, the story goes, if you recall, he was taken you know, captive by a dude from Egypt, a king from Egypt named Pharaoh Necho. And Pharaoh Necho took Jehoiaz and uh, the, the same guy named Shalem and uh, took him down to Egypt where he never saw Jerusalem ever again and died there. And so he only reigned for three months, uh, short-lived reign. And why? Because he rebelled against the Lord. Now, Josiah was the father of this guy. And he was a good king, if you recall. He was the guy that reigned at eight years old and did a bunch of good stuff. Um, but after him, his sons did not do good things. And Jehoiaz, or this guy named Shalem, uh, he failed miserably and only ruled for three months. So then the next son of Josiah comes into reign. Um, we're gonna talk about a guy named Jehoiakim. Let's take a look. He goes on, verse 13. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by up, uh, unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong that uses his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Um, that saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers and cutteth them out of windows uh, out of windows and is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, Josiah did. Um, then it was well with him. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord? But thine eyes, Jehoiakim, Thine eyes and thine heart are not for thy covetousness, uh, but for thy covetousness, for to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament him for saying, ah, oh, my brother, or ah, oh, sister. They shall not lament him saying, ah, oh, Lord, or ah, oh, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth, beyond the gates of Jerusalem. 
Go up to Lebanon and cry and lift up thy voice in Bashan and cry from the passages for all thy lovers are destroyed. I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest it, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth and thou obeyed not my voice. The wind shall eat up all thy pastors and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shalt thou be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, that makest thy nest in uh, the cedars, how gracious uh, shalt thou be when pangs come upon thee, the pain of, as of woman in travail. So this section that we just read here, verses 13 through 23, these 10 verses are, um, are against Jehoiakim, the second son of Josiah. So the first son of Jos Josiah was this, you know, Shalem dude. His name was also Jehoahaz. The second guy is Jehoiakim. And this guy, he, he did some bad stuff. Um, he was sort of claiming to be the same of his, as his father. Man, I was just like my dad. I did the right thing. But basically the Lord is saying here, if you kind of read this, um, it says, the Lord saying, you're no Josiah, um, but you lack integrity. Um, he calls him out. You know, probably the biggest calling out is verse 13. Woe unto him that builds his house by unrighteousness. His chambers by wrong, uses neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Um, this guy, man, it seems Jehoiakim was, you know, and we remember reading about him. He was not a good dude, but he lacked integrity like his father, Josiah. He made the Jews build his house like slaves, didn't pay them for their labor and just, you know, whipped them into shape and said, build my house and palaces. And um, one of the things that you might be confused by is what does Lebanon have to do with the kings of Judah? This is where uh, you kind of need to be familiar with what's going on in that time period. Did you know that um, Jerusalem started to be called sort of um, as a nickname, uh, Lebanon? They called Jerusalem Lebanon. Why did they call it that? Because during the reign of Solomon and thereafter, so much of the cedars of Lebanon, if you recall, that's a big thing in the Bible, all the cedar came from Lebanon, these giant cedar trees. And, and, uh, and so they used so much of the cedar from Lebanon that they started calling Jerusalem Lebanon. It was sort of a, a joke about how much cedar was taken. <clears throat> and they loved that cedar from Lebanon, so they just kept getting it. Well, you know, Jehoiakim housed his whole ceiling with, you know, cedar. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the hip thing. If, if, if Chip and Joanna were alive back then, forget Shiplap, you would have just put some cedar up. Uh, and that was the big thing of the day. So Jerusalem's called Lebanon, and that, that'll answer some of the questions when you read about this uh, referring to Lebanon. It's actually referring to Jerusalem and all the cedar that they took from Lebanon. <clears throat> Do you remember in the last part of our chapter, we saw where the Lord says, I'm gonna use all that cedar to burn a fire. It's all gonna be burned up and uh, history. So they were prideful about their cedar, but it was, uh, it was only to be burned by the Lord. Now, um, this guy was lacking in integrity. And he, he did things that were evil and was into building his old house, his whole house and palace on the backs of others. And he was one of these evil kings. And um, it, it speaks of a little bit dishonesty or integrity. And integrity can be defined as the steadfast adherence to a moral or ethical code. Um, a person of integrity does not do the things of Jehoiakim. That was jo Josiah. He was a king of integrity. 
but he said, I'm just like my dad. Nope, you're not a man of integrity. Integrity is what causes the professional golfer to turn himself in on an infraction when no one else sees it. You know, integrity is what, I, what keeps employees from cheating on overtime hours or expense accounts. Integrity is that which, you know, keeps an honest person on April 15th as that rolls around each year, the tax forms and all that stuff. Uh, integrity is what keeps you know, us faithful to our wives or to our husbands when we're away on business trips, where you choose to do what is the ethical code or the moral standard and you stick with it. That's a person of integrity. That's the opposite of what Jehoiakim is. Um, the Bible teaches us over and over again that the man or woman of God should be a woman, a man of integrity. Uh, sticking to a strict moral code. And I, I do wonder if um, as the years have gone by, we've loosened our moral codes so much that we don't even see the lines anymore. Um, and uh, people cross those lines and they don't even realize that they're crossing moral codes because we blurred those lines. We need bright lines. We need clear lines to show us what is um, what the Lord wants us to do. And guess what? It's right here in the Bible. The Lord gives us that. If you wanna be a man or a woman of integrity, you go with the word of God and not just your own whim. That's, that was Jehoiakim. And because of his lack of integrity, the Lord says, you're going down and it's coming. Uh, your, your pain is gonna be like a woman in travail with child and eventually it's coming. You're gonna be killed and your, your burial, did you hear what it said? Your burial is gonna be like when they bury a donkey. That's about how important your funeral is gonna be. And it's gonna be out in the wilderness where nobody cares. Uh, this would have been a horrifying end for a king of Jerusalem, <clears throat> but so much for Jehoiakim. That brings us to the next um, son uh, or king, the son of Jehoiakim. And that's this guy who's called, well, he's got three names in the Bible. Uh, this is where a lot of confusion comes. Let's read verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet I would pluck thee thence, and I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the hand of the Chaldeans. Who is this guy, Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim? Now, Coniah has three names. One is Coniah. You also hear him called Jeconiah. But even weirdly, still, um, they call him Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim. Jehoiachin, Jackie Chan. No, different guy. Jehoiachin is also Kaniah and Jeconiah. So this causes confusion and people say, oh, I thought you know, Jehoiachin was the son of Jehoiakim. He is, but he's also called Kaniah. Uh, people have multiple names in these stories. The Lord says, I'm gonna pluck you out and I'm gonna do you in. Um, verse 26, I will cast thee out and thy mother that bear thee into the another country where you were not born and there you shall die but to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. This, is this man, Coniah, a despised broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein there is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out? He and his seed, uh, and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, o, o, uh, it says, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. 
Um, Jeremiah gets a little weird here by saying, oh, earth, earth, earth. And then he says, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Why does he do this? It's an exclamation point. It's the, the, the Lord through Jeremiah saying, the whole earth needs to hear this one. Earth, 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 listen, 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 is kind of what he's doing. Now, why would he say this about this guy, Coniah or Jeconiah or Jehoiachin? Why would he care for us to hear about this king that's gonna be taken off into captivity and die in another land? Well, isn't it interesting? He says, there's a, there's a curse upon Coniah and his future seed and generations. It's the end of verse 30. Um, For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. This creates a seeming problem for you theologians out there. And I don't wanna get too crazy on this, but let me show you something because you might get asked this at some point. Uh, Would you flip over to Matthew chapter one? Remember, we just read that uh, Coniah or Jehoiachin He's gonna be, or Jeconiah, he's gonna be cursed and his seed after him. And, and no one will be uh, able to sit on the throne of David of his seed um, and be blessed, but he shall be cursed. But here's the problem. Uh, Matthew chapter one, one of the more interesting chapters in the Bible. Uh, it's the genealogy of, um, of Jesus through the line of his father, you know, uh, Joseph, his earthly father, um, So, uh, you know, basically what you see here is um, verse one of chapter one, the book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Abraham begat Isaac, and on and on you go through Jacob, and and it goes through all these uh, kings and and people. Verse verse five, and uh, Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab, Uh, Rahab's the prostitute, by the way, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David, verse six, the king, and, the, and, and David the king begat Solomon uh, of her that had been with the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba. So man, this lineage of Jesus, we already had a prostitute, we already have an adulterous affair with Bathsheba um, in, in Jesus's lineage, but worse still, look all the way down to verse 11. In Jesus's genealogy, it says, and Josiah or um, begat Jeconias or Jehoiachin. Um, uh, that's this Coniah guy, um, uh, Jeconias. Uh, and his brother, brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were uh, brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begat um, Shelatiel and Shelatiel begat Zerubbabel. Okay, so, so you, you see the problem here. And that is, we got Jeconiah or Coniah. Uh, we got him, or Jehoiachin, whatever you want to call him. He's the guy listed in Jesus's genealogy. But our text told us, if you remember, it says that Jeconiah's seed would be cursed. Um, I'll read it again. Uh, Je- uh, it says, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David, ruling any more of Judah. So you say, oh no. Jesus, he cannot be blessed on the throne of David because he's a descendant of Jeconiah. Well, um, if you hear somebody use this argument that, that sort of refutes that Jesus is the Messiah because he's cursed by the curse of Jeremiah chapter 23, um, you, 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 got, you got a good answer. And try to stick with me here. Did Jesus descend from the line of Joseph? The answer is no, um, because... Joseph was not his father. Joseph was his stepfather. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus was born of a virgin. 
Um, of the seed of the woman would come the Messiah, you know, the proto-evangelium that's there in Genesis 3, uh, that Jesus would be born of the seed of a woman. So interestingly, Joseph's genealogy here only puts Jesus as the rightful heir to the throne sort of legally, but not as far as the bloodline because there's no DNA or there's no genetic material that links Jesus to uh, Jeconiah or to Joseph, his stepfather. You have to go to Luke's gospel. Turn with me over to Luke real quick. In Luke chapter three. And there in Luke chapter three, we have um, this, I don't wanna go through this whole uh, genealogy, but as it turns out, this, this gets a little confusing, but this is the genealogy of Mary. And as it turns out, Mary is also uh, related to uh, King David through bloodline. Not through the line with Jeconiah, but a different line altogether. And I'll show you kind of the highlights here. We have to almost use this genealogy backwards. Start at the end of the chapter and we'll work back from there. So chapter three, verse 38 is where we'll begin. Um, it, it says the son of Enos, the son of Seth, which is the son of Adam, which is the son of God. So God, you know, created Adam. And, the, the, and then if you go backwards to this chapter, it shows from Adam, if we're going backwards, all the way to, um, uh, well, let's take a stop at uh, verse 34. Uh, the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which the son of Abraham. So that's the Jews that gets us to Abraham. But if you go back, uh, you know, more uh, into history, backwards to this chapter, it brings you to verse 31. The son of um, Malia, which was the son of um, Menan, which is the son of uh, Matata, uh, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which is the son of Obed, which is the son of Boaz. Okay, what happened there? Well, in Matthew's uh, genealogy, it went from David to Solomon and then through Solomon's line. But isn't it interesting that Mary was not related to Jesus through Solomon's line. She was married, uh, she was related to J Jesus um, through the line of, uh, of David's other son, Nathan. And that's what happens in verse 31. And so you go back from Nathan all the way back to, and here's where it gets really confusing, uh, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, or the word is Eli there. Now, you say, oh, there's Joseph again. Okay, Joseph, the name Joseph was as common as the name Jim or James or Bob uh, in Bible times. Joseph was a major name. This is not the Joseph uh, of, of the stepfather of Jesus. This is Joseph, the father of Mary, son of Eli in verse 23. I know that's confusing, but that's, that's the, the reason we know this genealogy here in Luke 3 is the, the genealogy of Mary to Jesus. And as it turns out, there is a bloodline there. But what's cool about this bloodline and Jesus' rightful uh, heir to the throne of David through blood, remember Matthew's was through legal precedent through Joseph's line, but through the bloodline, Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne through Mary who it was the seed of the woman through the blood of, of the woman, Mary, that Jesus has the rightful uh, heir to the throne uh, bloodline wise. Are you with me? Uh, this is important because it's sort of, it's like the Lord saying, oh yeah, you got a problem with the Kaniah curse of Jeremiah? No problema. The Lord says, Jesus isn't the rightful heir to the throne through the line of Kaniah, 
but actually through a different line altogether, but he's still uh, the son of David, rightful heir to the throne. That's why they called Jesus the son of David. Jesus, thou son of David. Remember blind Bart called out, have mercy upon me. Um, anyone who believed that Jesus was, was the Messiah, they would say, Jesus, son of David, that was his title. So this curse of Coniah cannot be applied to Jesus because of the different genealogies. Did you ever wonder why those genealogies were there? That's one reason. It just proves that Jesus was, in fact, the perfect rightful bloodline heir to the throne minus the curse of Coniah. What a cool and important part of the story. Hope I didn't lose you on that one, but it's an important thing nonetheless, especially for the critics and the Bible cynics. They always try to say, there's a problem, you know, and, and there never is a problem, but uh, they always act like there is. Well, uh, so there you have it. Um, now chapter 23 the, uh, uh, says here in verse um, one, and by the way, this is, um, this is um, about the leadership still. Woe unto the pastors. Oh, Brett, you're gonna hate this chapter. Well, some of your translations say pastors. Um, some say shepherds. I believe the NIV uh, woe unto the shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep. Um, I believe it's the New Living Translation that probably gets it most accurate according to the Hebrew scholars. Uh, it's called uh, leaders, I think, if you have a new uh, NLT, uh, New Living Translation. But the word leader, um, woe unto the leaders that destroy and scatter. These are more political leaders, probably. The word pastor in the Hebrew Old Testament, it doesn't really look like a pastor in the New Testament as much, but there is, a, there is an implication. And the, and the implication is the word pastor is linked to the sheep and sort of an under shepherd. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, pastors are the under shepherds, but the word pastor means feeder of the flock. And that's what pastors are supposed to do is feed the flock of God. And, um, and um, that's an important role that we're supposed to do. And, and how do you feed the sheep? With the word of God. As you feed the word of God into the sheep, hopefully that makes them healthy sheep. Um, and this is important. Well, these are not only not feeding the sheep, but they're fleecing the flock. They're uh, abusing the sheep is the idea here. Woe unto the pastors, verse one, that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them. And I will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. I love this. Jeremiah might be kind of depressing by and large about all the wrath and judgment and the scattering of the Jews all over the world. All this stuff is pretty bad news. But as it turns out, there's these little brights of rays of sunshine that beams through once in a while in Jeremiah. And this is one verse or two verses, verse three and four, where I will g gather my remnant out of, the, uh, of, uh, of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them. The diaspora is when God scattered the Jews. It was seen here in Babylon 586, ultimately revealed there in AD 70 when the Romans crushed Jerusalem. But the Jews were no longer in Jerusalem. They were, they were no longer there. They were scattered all over the world. But the Lord said, there's coming a day where I will regather my people. And that's what we're, we're seeing. For 1900 years, the Jews were scattered all over the world. And one of the great miracles of the Bible is God regathering Jews 
from all the corners of the earth. It was in the 1700s, Theodore Herschel and others started to say, the Jews will not be safe anywhere in the world unless we have our own homeland. And so they started going back to the promised land of Abraham's day and um, they purchased land from the Bedouins there. They uh, settled and farmed the land and brought the land back to life. Read Ezekiel 36, 37, uh, ultimately leading to 38, the, the 38 prophecy of Ezekiel. But it's, it's all 36 and 37 of Ezekiel, that's all fulfilled. Uh, we've only yet to see 38 fulfilled, but the, we'll see that when we get to Ezekiel here in a few weeks. Uh, pretty cool prophecies there. But the Lord said, I'm gonna regather my people and they're gonna have shepherds that will be good shepherds. That's still yet to be seen. That's in the future still. Now, very mysterious uh, and important section here, verse five. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Uh, in his days shall Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries whither I have driven them and they shall dwell in their own land. Did you hear what I just said about the Lord regathering Jews just a few minutes ago? There used to be a saying in the Old Testament times, the Lord that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, miraculous dividing of the Red Sea, killing Pharaoh's army, manna falling from heaven, bringing the people into the promised land. Great story. But that was the, the thing, the Lord that brought them up out of Egypt. No longer will people say that. But people will say the Lord, which brought the people of Israel back into their land from the scattering all over the earth. The stuff that we're seeing in our daytime, that's gonna be the byword that says God who exists because he regrouped the Jews and brought them all back into the land of Israel. Um, you know, this has all happened in our, I remember when I was a younger man, when uh, suddenly Israel had more Jews than the city of New York City. Um, they crossed the line there and the Jews were celebrating. Wow, you know, Israel's being filled with Jews. And meanwhile, the world stands by and protests. Oh, what are these occupiers, these Jews doing? Uh, you can say whatever you want. God says, I'm gonna regather my people into the land of Israel. And he's doing that. And, um, you know, what's interesting about the Jews is there's Jews, I know Jewish people who are not Christians and they're not even believers in God. And they say, I think I'm gonna move to Israel. Why? Just gotta feel like I wanna move to Israel. Um, who wants to move to Israel? Well, as it turns out, there's a lot of Jews from all over the world. And this is the Lord gathering his people. It's happening right now before our eyes. You and I are living during days that's a total fulfillment of the Bible. And it's gonna be for all of eternity, people saying the true and living Lord that brought the Jews back into their land after you know 2000 years of being scattered. Now, or they shall dwell in their own land. But there's a couple of huge things here. Did you notice the term branch? We've talked about this before. Um, the branch or the netzer, as he's called in the Hebrew. This is a key passage. Do you remember Isaiah chapter four, uh, verse two? We read about Jesus, this prophetic imagery of him being the branch. Um, another couple of passages, let me just read them to you. You can jot them down in your notes. Uh, Zechariah chapter three, 
verses eight through 10 talks about the branch. Let me read it to you. Uh, Zechariah 3, eight says, "'Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou "'and thy fellows that sit before thee, "'for they are men uh, wondered at. "'For behold, I will bring forth my servant, "'the branch,' capital B-R-A-N-C-H, all capitals. "'For behold, I, um, the stone that I have laid before Joshua "'upon one stone shall be seven eyes. "'Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, "'the Lord of hosts. "'I will remove the iniquity of the land. "'And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. This is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the branch as he's called, the Netzer. Uh, not only Zechariah 3, eight through 10, but Zechariah 6, verses 12 and 13 talks further about this. Uh, Zechariah 6, 12, then speak to him saying, behold, uh, thus saith the, the Lord of hosts saying, behold the man whose name is the branch and he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and, the, and sit upon the throne and he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. This is the millennial kingdom when the branch will grow up out and the nets are and be seated, uh, seated if you would, uh, there in Jerusalem on the throne. Only one person can be both priest and king and that's Jesus the netzer, the branch. So that's, that's something Jeremiah is speaking about here when he talks about the branch there in chapter 23. Um, now, um, the second part of this that's so important is this name of God. Remember in the I am there of the, you know, Exodus chapter three, where Moses received the, you know, the burning bush, uh, name of the Lord, I am that I am. And, uh, you know, then, then the Lord said, now, uh, the rest of the Bible, I'm gonna tell you who I am. Remember, I am that I am, Jehovah, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, the Old Testament starts to reveal he's Jehovah what? You are what? I am that I am. Well, he starts giving us, he fills in the blanks. He, he says, I am Jehovah Nisi, the banner. I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals you. But here we get a new name of the Lord, a new description of who he is, Jehovah Sidkenu. Uh, you'll see that in your margin, Jehovah Sidkenu, um, but it means the Lord our righteousness. Why is it in all capital letters? It's a holy name of God. Um, and Jehovah Sidkenu means the Lord our righteousness. Now, for you Bible people, you know this name of God is maybe one of the most glorious of all the names of God. He's not Jehovah the righteous one. He, he is, but that's not his name. His name is the Lord Jehovah our righteousness. And man, this is where you have to understand this is the way a person saved. This name of God, Jehovah Tzidkenu, is the description of how all of humanity is gonna save. Not just New Testament, by the way, Old Testament as well. Um, now, by the way, Romans chapter four uh, is where we read most about this. Uh, Romans chapter four uh, let me just read you some scriptures. You can jot these down in your notes next to Jehovah Tzidkenu because Paul articulates what this is all about, this whole, the Lord, our righteousness. It's Romans 4, 3. It says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was called righteous because he believed God. Was it because he was circumcised? No, it's because he believed God. Was it because he's the father of the Jews or was a Jew? No, he was saved because he believed God. And it counted unto him for righteousness, it says. Verse five of Romans four. But unto him that worketh not, you know, not by works, 
but believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So Paul makes the connection, like Abraham was saved by God and his righteousness, not Abraham's righteousness, he believed God and that was counted unto him for righteousness. So too, you and I are saved by that same righteousness. Verse 13 of chapter four of Romans. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We're not saved by keeping rules and regulations or the laws of the Jews or any of that. You're saved by righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Um, Look at verse 23 of Romans 4. It says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us also who believe shall it be imputed. What's that? Righteousness. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus the Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Just as if you'd never sinned. That's what justification means. So Jehovah Tzidkenu is our righteousness. Um, And that's how we're saved. It's such a glorious, glorious term. And this is what this imagery of Jeremiah, he's introducing this notion of uh, imputed righteousness. Um, Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17, it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to anyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, when we say the name Jehovah Tzidkenu, we are declaring God is the one who is righteous and it's by his righteousness that we are saved. Not by our own. We're saved by his righteousness, imputed righteousness. I did a whole teaching on this, by the way, um, I think it was back when we were in the book of Romans. If you search our website on the teaching search bar, type uh, imputed righteousness. And I think you'll find a whole teaching on this idea of imputed righteousness, but it's such a huge and important part of our faith. Um, and so that's the difference. There are people that have been given imputed righteousness, um, but then there's people who have not been given the imputed righteousness, saved, unsaved. Which one are you? The answer is if you believe God, not just believe in him, Satan believes in him, but you have to believe him, believe what he says, believe by faith that his word is true and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose up from the grave. And because of your faith in Christ, the one who's righteous, his righteousness thereby saves you from your unrighteousness. It's the great and glorious doctrine of uh, imputed righteousness. So that's what Jeremiah 23 is teaching us about this radical, radical stuff. Well, quickly, let's finish up this chapter and we'll wrap it up for the evening. Verse nine, mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For the land is full of adulterers, for because of swearing the land mourneth, the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore their way shall be unto them as a slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal 
and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall, thus poison. From the, for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not to the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say, still, uh, they say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walks after their own imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievous upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he hath executed, until he hath performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and have caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from their evil of their doings. Again, this is Jeremiah talking about the prophets of the day that were just liars. And they were saying they had the word of the Lord, but they didn't. Here he talks about the happy prophets. Who are they? It's right there in verse uh, 17 that they walk after the imagination of their own heart. They said, no evil shall come upon you. It's all gonna be good. You're gonna live victoriously. You can walk in power and authority and be victorious and, and all this. Watch out because just because pastors might have that message today doesn't make it true. You might not be victorious. You might be suffering and persecuted just like a lot of the Christians of the New Testament. Um, these are false teachers. And we talked about this on Sunday. In fact, verses 23 uh, all the way to verse 32, we looked at on Sunday. And we talked about false prophets, false teachers. Peter makes that connection in the New Testament that like the false prophets of Jeremiah's day, so are the false teachers of today. And I believe it's a problem. It's a big problem in the church today of people that are teaching happy prophecy, happy words only, but there's not happiness. It, it can be wrath and judgment too, along with the goodness of the Lord, like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the legit prophet. He's the one who's speaking the doom and gloom, but he's also letting those bright rays of sunlight shine in like Jehovah said canoe, um, like the regathering of the Jews after this is all over with. The, these prophets were the happy prophets saying, oh, happy, happy, happy. It's all gonna be good, but it wasn't. They were liars. Um, so we looked at that section, but then in in verse 33, we'll pick it up where we left off on Sunday. Um, now he moves to the heavy prophets and the Lord's got a problem with them too. So there were happy prophets. Now there's heavy prophets. Check it out. Verse 33. And when his people or the prophet or priest shall ask thee saying, what is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt say unto them, what burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus shall you say everyone to his neighbor 
and everyone to his brother, what hath the Lord answered? And what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more. For every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God of the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus shalt thou say to the prophet, what hath the Lord answered thee? And what hath the Lord spoken? But since you say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because you say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent unto you this saying, ye shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore behold, I, even I will utterly forget you and I will forsake you and the children, pardon me, and the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence. And I will bring you, uh, bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. So we have the happy prophet saying, you're gonna live, it's all gonna be great. You're gonna defeat the Babylonians. You're gonna live victoriously, man. But then there were the bummer prophets saying, the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. And there's people that do that too. They have a heavy word and they always have a burden to share with people. And the Lord says, stop saying that. I remember when I was a kid, there was a uh, kind of a thing where people were walking around all holy and spiritual. Uh, it's the 70s, that hippie thing I was telling you about in my upbringing. And there were these people walking around, man, I've got a burden, I'm just burdened. And um, it became a problem. These people had a burden, burden, burden. They're walking around all burdened down. I remember when my pastor pulled out this scripture and said, you guys, stop saying that. And he just read this passage and everybody pretty much got the message. Oh yeah, I guess we should stop saying the burden of the Lord, the burden, the burden. Uh, listen, the Lord's ways are not tedious. If you're walking with the Lord, his ways are not brutal and burdensome, but light and joyful. I'm, I'm not saying you're gonna live perfectly or victoriously in all things, but the Lord is the one who will bring you through and he'll lift that burden. Jesus said, take your burden and bring it to me. And, and if you take my burden, my burden's easy. My load is light. Um, so if you're all heavy and stuff, that's not of the Lord. The Lord wants you to cast your burdens on him and let him sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall or be moved. You might be going through difficult times and it might be heavy 2020 and who knows what's coming in 2021, but it might be burdensome to many, but to the believer, we need to keep it light and remember that we have the hope of heaven. So yes, we speak the truth and about the wrath of God and his righteousness and judgment, but we also have to make sure and remind people of the hope. Like I started tonight talking about how, man, we, we have, it's all gonna be good. We get to end up in heaven with the Lord for all eternity. And that's the glorious thing. Watch out for being a burdensome Christian. Oh, the burden of the Lord. Stop saying that. <laughs> a word from Jeremiah the prophet to the people of that day, to the people of Portland today. Well, we'll pick up chapter 24 next week. Let's pray and we'll close out the service. Lord, we thank you so much for the hope of heaven, the gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your name, Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. We think of Zedekiah, whose name meant the Lord is our righteousness, but he didn't know anything of that. How much better it is to have your name, the Lord, our righteousness, that your righteousness is imputed on your people. Even as Abraham and Isaac were up on that mountain, ready to sacrifice Isaac, when the Lord says there through Abraham that you would provide yourself the lamb. Lord, we see how that imputed righteousness works, that you took our penalty, you were the substitutionary uh, sacrifice made for us. And so your righteousness is that which saves us. 
Lord, I pray that we wouldn't make it more complicated than it really is. Help us to just rejoice in that glorious name, Jehovah Tidkenu. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.